Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Central Texas Life. You know how I love talking to people who don't necessarily make the news. They're quietly living their lives and making a huge difference. And I have just such a gentleman with me right now. I am delighted to introduce you to Thomas Clough, Jr., who is... You, you've just lived an extraordinary life from the standpoint of your public service as well as, you know, your, your work as a, as a manager. And so let's start off. You're born in Ardmore, Oklahoma, but you really call Texas home. That's right, Ann, and thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here, and I have lived an extraordinary life. Uh, I always say God has really been good to me. He's given me two angels, and that was Martha, and this is Carla, who is my wife now. And without Martha and without Carla, I wouldn't have been able to do the things that I've done with the help of many other people as well. Well, I, I tried to convince Carla to, to sit here and join us, and she said no. She said, I, I want it to be about Tom, and, and she obviously loves and admires you greatly, but just a little bit of the things that you've done. You've served as a senior executive for major corporations, both in the United States and in Canada, but, but as a public servant, this is what's so wonderful. I mean, you have served on the Texas Department of Public Safety Commission, as well as the Texas Lottery Commission. I don't think I've ever Talk to anybody who's been that up close and personal with the Texas Lottery Commission. And it was it uh, Governor Bush that appointed you? That's right. That? That's right. And that's an interesting story, uh, how I got started with the Lottery Commission and then went to the DPS. Uh, Governor Bush had asked me to do public service, and I was involved in turnarounds for private sector work. And uh, Polly Sal, who worked for Governor Bush, who's a wonderful woman in the appointments office, uh, kept calling and saying, we'd like for you to do something. And so I finished my last turnaround challenge, and I called Polly, and I said, now uh, tell the governor I'm ready and just give me the worst job he's got. (laughs) So he did. 
and uh, <laughs> took you at your word. <laughs> he appointed me to the lottery commission. Now oh the lottery goodness. started, if you remember, when Ann Richard. Oh, governor. I remember it very well. Yeah. And there was a promise that all the money would go, go to, to the foundation school fund. Yeah, education. And then the uh, legislature changed that. So uh, about half the people in this state do not want gaming. Yeah. Uh, the other half do want it. We don't have class three gaming, which is casinos. We have the five online games. And then at last count, there were about 97 scratch off uh, games. And when I was a commissioner and I served for four years as a commissioner, and then I followed Harriet Myers as chairman when she went to Washington with then uh, president elect Bush, uh, it was probably one of the most controversial things that was going on in the state. And David Sibley, who was our senator at that mm -hmm. time, uh, had to approve me, and I went before the Senate Nominating Committee, and he said, Tom, you know, uh, I'm not in favor of gambling. Right. And I said, well, Senator, you know, we have alcohol, and we have tobacco, and we have licensed carrying of guns, and I said, you know, if we're going to have gaming, you want somebody like me in charge of it because I'm going to see that it's going to be done right. And um, I can imagine there would be lots of opportunity for bad elements to they're, they're work their really, way into it. There really uh, isn't, and it's surprising how clean and how correctly uh that gaming is run in this state. That's not true, I guess, in every state. Right. But uh, in this state, there were 938 employees at the Lottery Commission, and uh, they were the most dedicated, honest, hardworking group of people. They never got the credit in the media or in any circle where they uh, worked, and uh, they got beat up a lot, mm -hmm. and, and it was unfortunate because they really did a great job. Uh, the lottery revenue at the time I left the commission was $3.5 billion. I think it's over $5 billion now. And uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's big for, money. That's yeah. a big operation. Yeah. But uh, the commission oversighted the operation and it was beautifully done and correctly and honestly done. And then after 10 years, I was the longest-serving commissioner at that time, and I think that's still the record, 10 years of a commission. Uh, Governor Perry was serving, and I, I said, Governor, I've served my sentence. I, I ought to be pardoned. <laughs> give me something better As, to do. <laughs> well, just give me something different. Different to do. <laughs> and uh, he knew that I was a turnaround guy, and yeah. he wanted the uh, Department of Public Safety to be changed. The legislature... Mm -hmm had voted to increase the sitting commissioners from three to five. And so uh, he appointed me, and he appointed Alan Polinsky as chair of the commission. And Alan turned around and gave me the job of reorganizing uh, the DPS. And uh, the uh, colonel, or the executive director of the commission, retired at that time. And uh, so then we had to have a search committee, and I headed that committee up, and we found Steve McCraw, who is the current serving oh, yeah. colonel or 
executive director of the uh, DPS. Mm -hmm. Steve's done a marvelous job and is doing a marvelous job. There are over 10,000 employees at the DPS. About 3,700 are T-close commissioned. And uh, again, they are the most loyal, dedicated employees. Uh, This state is so fortunate to have that kind of person in law enforcement. Yeah, from the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers are a division Mm, of the DPS. Mm -hmm. The Highway Patrol, the uh, Criminal Enforcement Division, we have seven laboratories all over the state that are equivalent to the FBI laboratories. Amazing what they can do. We have an aircraft division that has, I've lost count, over 20 aircraft, both fixed and rotary wing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the administration of driver license uh, used to have license to carry, and then we went to open carry, so now you don't have to have a license. But uh, the DPS regulates the issuance of narcotics and prescriptions. Most people think of the DPS as the black and whites or yeah, right. how you get your DL, uh-huh. your driver right, license. Right. Mm-hmm. But they do so much more. Mm-hmm. And currently they are doing a magnificent job on the border. The problem of illegal entry. You know, when my wife and I leave or return to this country, We have to have a passport. We have to have inoculation. We have to have a passenger locator form and a negative PCR test. You have to take the test, yeah. We have to have those four things to go to many other countries, but certainly to come back into the United States. The entry across the border, we hand them money. It's it's heartbreaking to me. We have been busting them to San Antonio. The governor's busting them to D.C. right now. Well, if they want to go. That's right. I mean, you can't they make them go. You know, I'm I'm not going to get too political here, but, you know, I, I think what is being allowed to happen is tragic. It because is Because of the lives, their lives that are being impacted. But Texas is not equipped to handle what could be 17,000 people a day. And people who live in. in Waco or Dallas or Houston or Amarillo, or Abilene, don't see it. But I can tell you Mm -hmm. the people who live on the border. Ranchers uh, down there. My wife has a a couple who are friends who have a ranch near Freer, Mm -hmm. and they have been overrun with these people. Mm -hmm. And as you say, it's tragic for them, but it's tragic for the people who have put their life's work and their savings into properties that are being abused. It's, It's just wrong. It's... It is wrong. It's it's wrong, and it starts in Washington, D.C. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could (laughs) could go go on about that for a long time. Go on and on about that. I mean, it's just something that's got to be be changed. Um, But you started out in Ardmore. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, How did – Sure. Where did you go to school? When did you know, you know, you wanted to become a businessman and management, I presume, an attorney as well? It's a good story. No, uh, I have hired many attorneys (laughs) being a trucking business. As my husband would say, Lord knows there are enough attorneys. You had to go to the end of the line to sue me uh, (laughs) at one time in the trucking business. Oh, bad, yeah. But anyway, we came to Texas as a result of me contracting rheumatic fever. Oh, really? And uh, that was in Louisville, Kentucky, in the Ohio River Valley. And the doctor said, 
you need to take this child, I was 10 years old, to a hot, dry climate. Really? So we came to Texas. Oh, here you are. I went to high school in Dallas, uh, Hillcrest High School, and then went to the University of Texas to college, business school. Oh, yeah. Then went into the Air Force, became a pilot, and uh, then was married. We had our first child in the Air Force and was released from active duty and came to Dallas, interviewed by Ray Smith, a trucker there. And he said, well, Tom, uh, what do you want? What, what kind of a job do you want? And I said, Mr. Smith, I want to work real hard and make a lot of money. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, well, I can help you with one of those. <laughs> you and he work put as me hard in a, as I can work you. <laughs> put me in a driver's uniform. Oh, really? And, uh, so you started, you I learned, learned it how to from drive the a truck. get-go, yeah. And uh, then I was a hard worker and uh, produced and ended up buying my own company and having the opportunity to do the things that I saw were good and avoid doing the things that were bad. And I've had three mentors in my life. Uh, one was the pilot that taught me how to fly. The other was uh, the businessman that uh, I worked for for a number of years. He taught me more on what not to do than what to do. And mentors teach you that as well. And then Because my, they've probably made mistakes along the way and learned. Well, and, and this, and help you this learn. man was making a lot of mistakes, and I was understudying him, so... Yeah. Uh, you learn by watching mistakes and making your own mistakes. Absolutely, no. And then my political mentor was Jim Nugent. Jim was chairman of the Railroad Commission when I went there and became executive director. And uh, Jim gave me the best advice as a office holder that I ever heard. It's sit down and be still, keep your mouth closed, and listen. And listen. And I repeat that to young people constantly. Yeah. Because when you're talking, you can't learn anything. And you just need to be still, keep your mouth closed, and listen. You'll you'll come out ahead if you practice that. We're not doing that today, but <laughs> Oh no, I'm I am just delighted to hear your stories uh, because you've had such a varied career not only you know professionally in the private sector, but also as a public servant. But you never ran for public office, or did you? No, I, I never wanted to run for office. I always agreed to be appointed. And okay. I talked to a that's, young man. That's got to be a lot easier. <laughs> it is. And I talked to yeah. a young man this morning on my walk. It was a casual conversation. And he said, you know, I was thinking about running for office, but you have to go through that opposition research. And it's so hard on your family and your business, and yeah. unfortunately, because of that kind of attack and the media scrutiny, which is never positive, especially uh, people, if they're conservative. Especially, and yeah. I mean that's just true. And we want people who are well balanced. You know, I would rather deal with a smart liberal person than a non-smart liberal person. I would rather yeah. be across the table from an attorney who is smart than one who isn't smart. It's intelligence that helps you reach 
compromise and the right decision. And, and that's what we're lacking so much of this that's day. Right. A civility and discourse. Uh, because because the society seems so polarized now that you know, and, and people want to stay in their own little echo chambers and listen to what they believe and so forth, that there's not any of this proper discourse back and forth. So compromise, I mean, I've always learned that, that politics is the art of compromise. That's right, and we have lost respect for manners and authority. And when you don't respect the person you're negotiating with and you do it in a mannered or civil way, and you don't respect the authority that that person represents, or in your case, if you represent it, then you just want what you want. And that's, I think, what you're discussing or pointing out. It doesn't lead to a positive conclusion. Mm-hmm. It's really a tough thing. I think our schools have allowed children to go through the grades and not be taught the respect for manners and authority that you and I grew up learning as we went to school. And I'm hopeful that these freedoms to do whatever you want to and dress however you want to and act however you want to will not destroy the culture that has really built this country. Mm -hmm. You know, Well, it's under assault. I mean, we see it every day. It is, and it's it's a hard thing for a person of my age to see and to not be really upset about. I am deeply concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to take a brief break, but when we come back, we're going to learn more about Tom and his wonderful and varied career as both a public servant as well as a, quite an innovative a businessman as well. Stay with us. And we're back with Tom Klo, Jr., who is a, a new friend of mine. I mean, we really had just met. I know your wife, Carla. And um, she is the one that she said, Ann, you've got to speak to my husband. He has just lived such an interesting life. And, uh, and, and you've given back so much of your time and energy to the state of Texas and to very important positions with two important groups, the Department of Public Safety and, uh, and the Texas Lottery Commission, now, I have to admit, I have not bought that many lottery tickets. You're smart. <laughs> I, you know, I think, I think I'd rather spend that money, you know, on a coffee somewhere, a fancy well, coffee. But I know there, when, the, when the jackpot would get big at work, one of my colleagues, we'd, we'd all go in together. We'd put some, I mean, we, we did that. And I, I guess that's really how I've bought lottery tickets is in a group and I never won anything. <laughs> well, it's entertainment. But, you know, but what if, you know, but what if? I mean, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing about that. people do win. Ga- that's the whole thing about gambling. Somebody does end up winning it. That's right. But, that's right. And, you know, the whole thing about lotteries, though, you know, and you read the stories about the people who win and how often it doesn't work out well for them. Well, that's the stories that you read. Yeah. Uh, the media wants to tell you about the people who didn't spend their earnings or their winnings wisely. Uh, I used to meet all the winners uh, when they were awarded their uh, uh, winnings, and most of that is not a check. We we would 
take pictures of a check, mm-hmm. but oh yeah, it goes into a wire transfer account in, in most cases. There's an educational process that the commission uh, subjects claimants, and that's the term that we use right. when somebody comes. Because and, it's not just the big jackpot winner. There are other winners. There are smaller oh, amounts. I'm uh, sure you, you have know, a lot of scratch-offs are millions of dollars. Yeah. And um, there used to be an annual gathering of winners. I don't think they do that anymore. There used to be a pictorial record yeah. of winners. I don't think that's done anymore. But uh, that I I th- always thought the smart ones are the ones that stay real, keep it real low. And that's for the you most know, part of the number of people. Because everybody's going to come out of the woodwork yeah, and, wanting and to get a piece of that pie. They're quiet winners, uh, yeah, in preponderance. But uh, so, and I'm sure many have been blessed by the money, and they've been able to, you know, do oh, great I've met things some with that, it, and. Uh, you know, saved families. They oh yeah, held up churches that were in trouble. They established funds for people who were indigent, and uh, you never hear about those people. But it is gambling. Yeah, and I, I always worry about because I'll be in a Seven Eleven or whatever and see the people who are buying lottery and i think you know you don't look like you can afford to do this and there are many people that that, uh, would question me about you know the morality of my serving on the commission and i I would say look it's entertainment it's like buying a ticket and going to a movie or going to another sporting event that you pay money for and if you approach it that way uh, it's it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It is entertainment. And uh, and that's what I told David Sibley, yeah. uh, that somebody needs to regulate right. uh, this event that the state is sponsoring. Yeah. And I think uh, it's been a really difficult thing for those of us who serve, but I think generally it's been well-run and it's been a productive thing. Mm, oh, yeah. It's genera- it has generated millions and millions of dollars. And, of course, you know that all the states around us have Class three gaming. That's right. casinos. Louisiana, I, I'm totally Arkansas, opposed to that. Oklahoma, New Mexico. Yeah, if and people we have want Texans to do it, that's that, fine, but that, I don't want it in Texas. Yeah, those people that want that get on buses or drive yeah. their cars or fly. Yeah, they go up to Oklahoma. Uh, and, or some, one of those big casinos. Yeah, of course. Now, you're from Oklahoma, the, the uh, Native Americans. I was Americans, born in Oklahoma, but right? I haven't gotten a check for an Indian <laughs> nation yet. I, I'm still looking for my first check. <laughs> well, you know, there there you go, because um, it has, it has you know, done a, a lot, I guess, for the, the tribes up there. But that was a whole other political Animal, it is, and we have, we have two Indian nations in Texas mm-hmm. that have Class Three gaming, but it's on their reservation. Right, which is where? So where is that? Out in West Texas. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay, well. And, and we've had other Indian nations that have claimed autonomy and wanted to have Class Three gaming. Uh, when I left the commission, they had never been authenticated, and so ah. I don't know what the current status is now. Yeah. So yeah, that but would ha- that would have to happen. But the are sovereign. And oh, exactly. I mean, you you drive on, and it's it's their own that's right. country. That's right. Basically, 
you know, that's that's a whole other interesting aspect of, of uh, Texas history. That's right. Uh, with all that. Um, but you spent, you did spend a lot of time uh, in the transportation inter- in- industry. Trucking. And the, the Railroad Commission, I talk a bit, little bit about that whole, I think uh, there's a lot of confusion with people as to what the Railroad Commission does. That's an interesting story. Uh, the Railroad Commission was formed in the 19th century, and that's when the railroads were coming in right. to Texas and were creating the ability for people to travel and goods to be transported. And a lot of central Texas towns are here because of the railroad. That's right. And so when other entities developed and required some governmental regulation, and the oil and gas industry is probably the biggest example uh, the legislature put it in the Railroad Commission. And then uh, trucking began to be uh, a factor in transportation, and that was put in the Railroad Commission. Surface mining became uh, a big industry in this right. state. There's, Texas is the number one producer of anthracite uh, in the United States. I think it's third or fourth in coal production. And that went into the Railroad Commission. And then LP gas uh, had to be regulated. That went in the Railroad Commission. And the idea of changing the name of the agency has been addressed a number of times. It's never been approved. <laughs> they, the legislature has always wanted to keep the Railroad Commission. We're going to call it this. <laughs> At one time, the oil and gas division really set the price of crude oil through their allowables. And really, when I was at the commission, uh, OPEC looked to the Railroad Commission for the price per barrel Mm -hmm. for West Texas Intermediate crude. Mm -hmm. That's changed, and, uh, you know, fracking has changed the oil industry, not only in Texas, but nationwide. But uh, the name has always remained the Railroad Commission. So do you have you have a favorite moment that you remember from, from your career of whatever um, that, that you just thought, you know, this and is great. A, this, is, this is why I'm here. That's a great question. And the answer is I probably have two dozen great moments. <laughs> I, I can remember when I asked my late wife to marry me when we had our first child. And our second child, I can remember the first time I soloed an airplane oh, yeah. and then when I crashed in a jet <gasps> fighter oh, my and walked away from it. I can remember when I was first hired in the trucking business and then made a vice president at an early age. I can remember when I bought my first company and when I sold my first company. I can remember when I met Carla and we fell in love and we married and she brought me these five wonderful grandchildren oh, that that's great. I now get a second chance to be a grandfather to. And uh, I can remember when I left the Lottery Commission <laughs> and uh, was allowed to go to the Department of Public Safety. I got my pardon. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I never really have thought my life was outstanding or there were any great moments. I lived every day and enjoyed every day. And now at uh, 80, well, I'll be 89 in just 
wow. 10 days. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think that uh, the Lord gives me one day at a time, and that's the best day in my life, and that's the way I've really lived my life. I have a good friend, Ken Starr, who was— uh, He's been on this podcast. Has he? Yeah. And Ken and I were talking one day, and he said, well, I'd like to have 10 more years of good health. And I said, Ken, when you get to be my age, you don't measure it in years or months. You measure it in days. And <laughs> just ask the Lord for one day at a time. That's right. That's right. Oh, that is so well said. Well, this has flown by, but I like to end these little visits with a questionnaire similar to the one the late, great James Lipton would use on Inside the Actor Studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is my little take on it. What is your favorite word? Teamwork. My success in life has been through building teams of people. The team always does a better job than any one individual. And the success that I've enjoyed in the public sector and the private sector has come through building teams of people. And I've told Carla, when I die, and there will be a funeral, I suppose, uh, I don't want to talk about, well, he loved to fish or he loved to hunt or he loved to do this or he loved to do that. I want it simply said that I loved working with people. Mm -hmm. And that's been the thing that's given me more satisfaction in my life than anything else. So my favorite word is teamwork. Well said, well said. What is your least favorite word? Me. Really? I, yeah, well, there you go. Or mine. Yeah. You know, the, there is no cr- end to the credit a man can do if he doesn't say I, me, or mine. Yeah. Oh, wow. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I think... Uh, having the opportunity to influence people and to lead the way to higher accomplishments or a better purpose. Mm -hmm. And uh, Carl and I had dinner with one of our ministers in the church not too long ago, and uh, he's a good man in the pulpit, does a great job with a sermon. And he said, you know, I really gave a good sermon last Sunday, and I, I got finished with it, and I thought, yeah, that was really good. I did a good job. And, you know, I like that because <laughs> when you lead a group of people or an individual to a better accomplishment, there's a great feeling from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What turns you off creatively, emotionally? Or... Well, self-centered people yeah, and people yeah. who are selfish and do the I, me, and mine thing. And uh, those people are not going to create value They're not going to be producers. Uh, They want things given to them and uh, free lunch. And that turns me off. What sound do you love the most? Gentle music with lyrics that I can understand. (laughs) Amen. I do not care for music that is loud and verbose and lyrics that I cannot understand. <laughs> okay, so that I, may I'm Frank Sinatra, you oh, know, yeah. Barry Manilow, Neil Diamond, Great Barry Como. Yeah. yeah, and the and the music that they recorded 
it was you know the great american songbook you know and jazz and stuff like that that to me it, it's just the best you know we still hear white christmas with bing crosby absolutely at christmas time That's nothing's right. ever replaced it's timeless that. it's timeless what is your least favorite sound this kind of music that i mentioned <laughs> I that <think> come, already. <laughs> comes from a garage and uh <laughs> you know, these artists are half-dressed and grabbing their crotches, and you can't understand a word they're saying, and they look like they're in pain. Uh, I just can't tolerate that. <laughs> okay, what... You Any other embarrassing I, I, questions? No, okay, this, this... What profession would you have liked to have tried that you didn't? I mean, you've done a lot of different things. At uh, an early stage in our marriage, my late wife, Martha, uh, suggested that I go to a testing uh, laboratory uh, to see what my skills were. And uh, I did that. And so I took, uh, I can't remember whether, I, I can't even remember the name. I won't try to recall it. But I took their test and I sat down with the uh, results that they uh, were going to give me. And, they said, Mr. Clough, you have a number of talents, and you can do a number of careers, we think, successfully. Mm -hmm. But they said, there's one thing we want to caution you against, and that is don't ever pick up a screwdriver or a <laughs> hammer or a pair of pliers. <laughs> and uh, early on, you know, when my wife wanted a towel rack hung <laughs> or a picture hung, I would say, well, I'll do that. And I'd pick up a hammer and some nails, and she would start to cry. <laughs> so You have been cautioned against doing this. <laughs> so I think I could have done a number of things through people. Uh -huh. uh, my skill is working through people. Yeah. But I cannot do anything with my hands. <laughs> and so I've stayed away from yeah. screwdrivers, hammers, and pliers. Well, and so this may answer what profession you what you know you would never want to do. That's it. That would be it. That's okay. It. Well, and I a, admire those individuals. Oh, absolutely. Who have that skill. And we've got to have people who know how to do things and make things. And see, that's a craft yeah. that uh, I hope people still take pride in. People who can paint, people who can cut wood, people who can make things with their hands are so talented and we need those crafts mm -hmm. to do the things that make this country great. Absolutely. Finally, it's, it's not all this. Yeah, right, exactly. It's not all. And that's a concern we have about young people. Yeah. This is not the I'm world. I'm going to move your, yeah, your mic. Yeah, this is not the world yeah. of uh, reality. no. No, and it and it, and it's really come on in recent last memories. ten pretty, years. Yeah, no, right. and and really the ramifications of all that. I we just don't even have a clue right That's now. That's right. Well, finally, what do you want to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? I hope the ride was worth the fall, <laughs> <laughs> and I will answer that. I think affirmatively. It's been a great life. And I've done just about everything I've wanted to do. As I said, God gave me two angels. And that's probably one over the normal ration yeah. that anybody gets. And uh, if you ask me if there's anything I want to do before my life ends, I would tell you, no, it's just to live one day at a time with Carla and the children 
and uh, have good health because if you don't have good health, nothing matters. I know, and to be appreciative of that. For That's sure. right. Yeah, not to be taken for granted. Well, I don't take for granted the time you have spent with us today. I appreciate so much getting to hear more of your story, Tom, and uh, just blessings on you and Carla, and, and uh, you're just a delight to visit with. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And just remember, uh, what you got uh, is worth w- just what you paid for it, <laughs> which is nothing. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And thanks for being with us. We do hope you'll join us again next time for Central Texas Life. Central Texas Life with Ann Harder is part of the Rogue Media family. Be sure to check out our other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate this show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Life with Ann Harder.